Welcome to Mulk's TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, somehow a group of men desperate enough to debase themselves on national TV have been located, and this week they moved into the infamous White House to film 10's first series of The Bachelorette. Last year's jilted winner Sam Frost will be the object of their affections as the men compete for her hand and heart in a number of challenges, though no word on how they compete for the remainder of her body. Ten are expecting big things from the series, following from the successes of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Gogglebox, Shark Tank and MasterChef, though given the photos of the men cast for the show, it perhaps it should be dubbed Hipster Wants a Wife. Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what. Free to wear this, VPN that, plug in and listen to what other people think about what you are and are not watching. It's Mox TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mock. Joining me this week, a man who slept his way through most of Mount Thomas and Drover's run, a man who has spent time in both Erinsborough and most recently Summer Bay, playing of all things a teacher and somehow seems to have transformed into the new Donald Fisher. He's one half of the most popular Australian podcast ever in TOEFOP and recently started his very own excellent podcast, That's Awesome with Charlie Clawson, because something, something, idle hands. He amazingly still has time to run his own production company and turn up at every Channel 7 telethon. It's Australian TV royalty, Charlie Clawson. <laughs> that is possibly the best pump up I've ever received in my entire career. I'm, if I die soonish, you can do the eulogy. <laughs> Charlie, you're far too kind, I have to say that. Are you ready to go out and kick a goal? The team needs you. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I love a good sports analogy. So yeah, let's 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 do it. Do it for the coach. <laughs> Charlie, we will dive into your career, but just talking about that, even mentioning it briefly, you've been on the the who's who as far as Australian drama soap opera goes, really. You've stepped up. Well, yeah, I mean look, I stepped up or stepped sideways, I don't really know. My my uh my uh, I'm just a very blue collar uh, actor when it comes to work. I'm just happy if someone wants to employ me. So um, I know the usual route for a lot of Australian actors is to sort of start on the soaps and then, you know, work their way up to in inverted commas serious drama. But um, it's sort of worked the other way around for me. But I uh, I love it. I'm, I, Home and Away is, I don't know, have you had anyone else from Home and Away on your show? Not yet, but I'm working on Lynn uh, McGranger. Oh, Lynn's great. But Mm. I, uh, she will say the same thing that I'm about to say, which is it's actually, it is one of the best uh, places to work, like of, of all the kind of sets I've worked on. I guess it's because, um, you know, you, you're together with the crew and, and the other cast members for so many weeks of the year. It engenders a kind of camaraderie and uh, it's just, I, I've been here almost three years and it just feels like yesterday that I started, you know. Uh, and I even talking to my, uh, I had a meeting with my manager uh, just before I, I did this chat with you, and he was saying that you know he heard all these stories about Home and Away, and he's like blah 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 bullshit. Yeah, of course everyone says that about the place they work. But then he came and spent time on set, and he was like, it's right, like it's genuinely a nice <laughs> place to be, and everyone's very supportive. I mean, I guess hopefully that's why. I mean, hopefully that translates. That's why it's been so popular for so long. But yeah, it's just a really, it's a really great place to to front up for work. 
Well, it's always summer in Summer Bay, and I would have to offer that during oh, geez, the Jesus, so it was bloody months. cold today when we were filming. I'll tell you what. <laughs> the AD was telling us all that we could have to stop shivering because he said, guys, you're looking too cold in this shot. You need to look warm. It's like, mate, it's bloody 7.30 in the morning. There's dew on the ground. It's freezing. But it, it's always interesting because I, I, I feel for the ladies They'll enjoy it quite often when uh, it is winter and they have to, you know, run out of the surf or uh, into the uh, the surf club from the beach yeah. in a bikini, yeah. and uh, it looks remarkably colder than their well parts of their body are revealing it's colder <laughs> than theirs. Yeah, I think the biggest blessing I've had in my time on the show is that my character is not a surfer, so <laughs> I've only had to be in the water I think once. I've had to have my shirt off a couple of times. I've only been in the water once, so I think I'm ahead as far as I'm concerned. Oh, well, you may not be getting in the surf much, but uh, you are getting in the kissing stakes for someone. We'll talk about that more uh, in just a second because it's the high point of my wife's uh, night, I have to tell you. She's quite a fan of, of Home and Away. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, Charlie, there are lots of things happening this week in television all mm. around us, so it's prominent and important that we talk about the news. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Get all your TV news at MulksTVTalk.com. But first, the news. Creepy Uncle Jesse is upset at the news that Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen are refusing to be involved in the Full House reboot, Fuller House, coming to Netflix in 2016. John Stamos, who is executive producing the series, said, It's not about the money, it's about the fans. In possibly the smartest decision made in years by the twins, they're opting out of Stamos's love project, but does it really matter? They played a baby in the original series, so surely they can be replaced by anyone. Did you watch Full House, Charlie? Were you into that at all? Yeah, um, I mean, look, I was aware of it. I don't think I, w- I, I could be classified as a fan. Um, I don't really have a feeling one way or another. There was a whole bunch of sitcoms in the early nineties, like Step by Step, and Full House, and what was the one with the cop from Die Hard, Family Matters? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. They all blur into the same for me. <laughs> I was kind of more of a sitcom of the 80s kind of kid, like Growing Pains, Family Ties. That was Small sort of, Wonder, Different Strokes. Small Wonder, Different Strokes. That was sort of more – I think I was maybe too old for sitcoms, for the, for the kind of wholesome family values of sitcoms by the time the 90s rolled around. I was getting into my emo era. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember some girl in the 80s on a sitcom being called Tootie. Yeah, that was um, Facts of Life. Yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. Nostalgia is a little too thick on the ground for mine. The fact that we're seeing, you know, let's come back and do Full House again, but with uh, DJ Tanner all grown up, just seems a little bit... Look, yeah, but you know what? Get other careers? Like, if, you, if you look at the music industry as a kind of case study, then it makes a lot of sense because... You know, you've got like bands like the Pixies and stuff who are reforming and making more money now off the wave of nostalgia, not the wave of mutilation, off the wave of nostalgia. <laughs> uh, that why wouldn't you if you had a sitcom? Because the thing now is uh, people have more disposable income for nostalgia. Like we are dominated by pop culture. Like it's mm. sort of, you know, there's more greater access to films, comic books, movies. Uh, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of money to be made. So, look, I mean, from a creative point of view, I, I, I think it's a negligible reason to want to do it. But from a business point of view, it makes a lot of sense, um, you know, especially a show like that. Like, I mean, if there was like, if they did a, if they wanted to reboot Rowing Pains and kept mm. 
Kirk Cameron as being this fire and brimstone <laughs> fundamentalist Christian. <laughs> I would be interested. I've got to say, I can't, you know, guarantee I'd buy the first series on DVD, but I would definitely tune in at least. I'd be intrigued to find out why he was just permanently carrying a banana around. What? Have you not seen this? This is no. a marvellous video in line with Kirk Cameron's I've Become Fundy Christian. Yeah. Um, he, it, there's a video of him with uh, – uh, he's there for his star power – um, a, a Christian pastor who is talking about how um, intelligent design and creation, the creation story must be correct because of a banana. And he goes on, he's holding up this banana and Kirk's really interested in this banana. Wow. So what's the basis of the banana? For oh, because of the shape, the fact that it can only be opened by a, a uh, an animal with opposable thumbs, but has the, in, the the ability to understand that inside is the goodness and outside is the protective coating and it's um, cylindrical inside, but outside it's angular and shaped to help protect it from, uh, you know, bumps and bruises and things. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. Uh, I've got to say that's not the most compelling argument. <laughs> I've oh, look, I'm sure he goes into much more detail than I could care to offer. There is that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a more compelling argument would be that some bananas wear pajamas and come downstairs. <laughs> I mean, if there That's... was really a god, then you know that would be what he designed. Surely, the evolutionary support, though, isn't it? <laughs> Taking the bananas and the fact that they're coming downstairs to catch teddy bears, yeah. who then, in the nature of the actual show are running the entire town. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like M Night Shyamalan. You, I think you should pitch him your new uh, Wayward Pines. <laughs> <laughs> the bananas are mutants yeah. is what is the situation here. I don't know what this superpower is. Have you been watching Wayward Pines? Uh, I watched the first episode and didn't really get into it. I just felt a bit sort of Twins Peak light, I thought. Mm. Um, I mean, I like their run in it, but I don't know. I don't know. It just it, There's so much good television out there at the moment. I, I find that it's like... You know, shows are, it's very competitive out there. If a show doesn't grab you in the first couple of episodes, there's just so much other stuff to watch. Oh, and there is, and new stuff flying around. I mean, we've got Dig about to pop up, uh, or has just popped up, my apologies, on SBS, that mm. previously had a run on Stan. Mm. Uh, and we've also got Aquarius, the new David Duchovny uh, series, where he's a cop. And uh, he's, I think, he's in, he's in connected to the to Manson family. Like, he's a cop and. He's tracking down some killer or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Hippie, yeah. hippie, something, something. I saw a trailer for that. So what channel? Is that on 7? It'll oh. be on Presto, which is oh. Foxtel's thing. They're showing some episodes there, and then they're dropping it on Foxtel week to week. As it oh, I saw a trailer for that, but I can't remember where I saw it. But, yeah, that makes sense. Probably. So, if, they, if, so if he's doing X-File, the X-Files uh, re- reboot or whatever it's called, the, mm-hmm. the X-Files back, does that mean Aquarius hasn't been renewed for a second series? Does that mean we, <laughs> we shouldn't watch? I think Aquarius is a summer series, um, you know, one of those delightful little we'll see how it goes as to whether it gets another gig. They'd have to be acutely aware, though, that with uh, the X-Files coming back and, and Duchovny very tied into that, that their time accessing him is going to be limited. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get heaps of se- heaps of episodes of, of the X Files though. I don't think we're going like. Didn't we get twenty two, twenty three ep- seasons of the X Files back in the day? I don't yeah. think they'll do that. Ba- back out. when there was four TV channels, <laughs> before there was like <laughs> a thousand. Yeah, right. So that's what they're doing. They're like doing like telemovies or boutique, like a boutique uh, order or something. Are they? 
Well, yeah. When, when you look at Fargo delivers 10-episode series. Yeah. Uh, Masters of Sex is the same thing. So all of the, the serious cable end of town, and I'd expect that this will be the same with Twin Peaks, that they'll just go down that 10-episode series path um, with the view that, well, if it's successful, we can you know give it a, a number of years life yeah. instead of let's go for two seasons of 40-odd episodes or as I like to call it, the Blunderland path. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the I mean, I think the market is dictating production now because it used to all be about advertising. Mm. But now you've got, you know, uh, Netflix and Presto and all these kind of on-demand or subscription services. It's not like you have to pump out, you know, 22 episodes in order to make the most of your advertising dollar. Mm. So no, uh, very much so, and then that, that, that I mean, and that's everyone wins in that scenario because what you're getting is higher quality shows because they're not forced to stretch an idea out over 22 episodes. We do struggle though in that the free to wear episodes are at the moment reticent to invest in drama mm. unless it's, and I don't know how they manage to do this, but unless it's a proven vehicle, which yeah. can't become so until they give it a chance. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the drama stuff. Now, Love Child is back on nine. That's, mm. you know, doing pretty reasonable. Um, we've got, a, uh, I think it's a telly movie on Brock and a mini series on Princess Mary coming on 10. Right. Um, I think there's another Winners and Losers coming, but I don't yeah, know if is. it's been renewed for another series. Um, we don't know if Wonderland will return. Offspring, we still don't have an official answer for 10, but I can promise you people it's dead. Um yeah, it's it's that kind of scenario, and mm. oh, House Husbands, of course, is coming shortly as well. Yeah. So, oh, and we've still got Eric Thompson's Eight Hundred Words. Yep. We're probably going to see more of Rebecca Gibney uh, as Winter, um, her detective character now. So it's yeah, like just as long. Well, I can say as long as we don't get any more a place to call home, but Foxtel have got that now. So yeah, yeah, no, they're all over that. <laughs> You'll be getting more of that Gosh. for sure. That's like Nani uh, Hazelhurst pretending to be um, the Dowager Countess from Downton Abbey. <laughs> I, I mean, I actually know a few of the cast members from um, uh, from a place to call home, and I saw them at the Logies, and I was like, mm. "You guys must feel like you just got a death row reprieve." I mean, how often does that happen that you your show gets axed and then it pops up on another channel? Like the only other example in Australian history I can think of was Neighbours. Mm. Oh, the I mean, I suppose Good News Week, but for a drama, Neighbours is the only other one. Oh, Heartbreak High, I guess. They did that too, didn't they? Heartbreak started on Channel 10 and then yeah. went to ABC and became hugely popular on the ABC. <laughs> that's right. Well, that, that's right. They are few and far between. And certainly this flip over to your pay television, this is a rarity uh, in that, you know, normally Foxtel like to do their own thing, but for them to go, oh, hey, this fits into our older demographic that we're courting at the moment, and it rated really highly in that. So, yeah, yeah, let's pick that up. Yeah. So, and Seven are making it for them. So, this is the other grand what? deliciousness really? of it. Seven are making it, um, and then sort of Foxtel going, here's a lot of money. Yeah, right. Well, that makes sense, really. <laughs> If they've got all the kind of sets, the same crew, the same, uh, I mean, you don't really have to change anything. It's just that you let someone else market and distribute it and you just get paid for it. I mean, I think that's I what don't, I was just going to say, I don't know that Bevan Lee, who created it, is writing the third series though. Oh, right. So he's off it. I think so. Maybe they'll get someone like Forrest Redlick and it'll just be about oh, Mr. Gosh. Bad 
come into town. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy in a wheelchair just sort of rolls through scene. No one understands why. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to see them turn a place to call home into a kind of prequel of sorts for Mr. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> his origin story. Yeah, his origin story. An eight-year-old Mr. Bad, like slicing up like animals in the paddock and stuff. It's his first of his lust for killing. <laughs> he gets busted by mum in her makeup uh, drawer. Yeah. You know, he put... The silver, silver paint on black. his face. Yeah, that, now that was the golden era of television, wasn't it? That, that era. <laughs> well, of we East had Street. a country practice, East Street. Yeah. Um, there was a, oh, a bunch of stuff going around as well. Flying Doctors, of course. Um, but that, but there East, was a ton of drama there. East Street was the one that really, I mean, that really pushed the crazy. Like that one, that one felt mm. unhinged. I, I mean, I because everyone sort of remembers the Mr. Bad period for obvious reasons, but I stuck with it beyond that. To see the storylines going even more bizarre <laughs> to, to the point where they actually rebooted. I mean, they did it within the same, like uh, in the same uh, series or probably probably the following series where, you know, so Mr. Bag was a serial killer who, you know, wiped out a fair few cast members and was uh, uh, Kate Raisin's sort of nemesis yes. in a way. But yes. then they brought him back or they continued on in the next series where, but obviously the actor who played Mr. Bad had wanted more money or had balked at coming back. So they put him in a hospital bed wearing an Elephant Man-style mask. <laughs> and so the, they teased it out for almost like a full like season of him getting out of prison, uh, so getting out of hospital, then you know, evading the police you know, while wearing this Elephant Man mask. But then they did this amazing thing where they kind of retconned his backstory because the whole thing about how Mr. Bad entered the show was when Kate mm. Raisin's character was younger, she remembers seeing like this weirdo with his face painted in the woods killing a kid or doing something with a kid. Oh, but they, they retconned it with this uh, elephant man, Mr. Bad, and he actually was trying to save the kid. He wasn't hurting anyone. So they actually undid all of the great work oh. they'd done in the previous series. It was pretty amazing. This is, uh, there are a few shows that have decidedly gone off the rails in history. Uh, East Street is a perfect example as far as Australia goes. Mm. Um, Chances is another one um, that started out as a, it was about a family who won a million bucks or whatever and how it transformed their lives, not necessarily for the better. It just became about nudity and (laughs) witches and crazy, crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I never really, I must've been the only teenage boy who didn't watch Chances. (laughs) (laughs) It was on late Tuesday night. Yeah. And this was the same era where we had Sophie Lee fronting uh, the sex the, show. Oh, right. I was, gonna, I was even going to go further than that and say the Bugs Bunny show, but you're right. She started on Bugs Bunny, then she went to sex. Mm. That's, which was relative, in the grand scheme of things, it was actually a reasonably uh, innocuous show. They did talk about sexual health. They did talk about yeah. relationship issues and those sorts of things. And here's some boobs. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was about the size of it. Yeah. It wasn't very much sex, but as a as a teenager, it was pretty good. Yeah, you either had that or nine thirty, ten thirty on a Saturday night on SBS. That were your only two options. <laughs> oh, kids these days, I don't understand how easy they've got it. Yeah. Uh, Felicity <laughs> was the other one that that took a very weird turn. I don't know if you ever watched this. No, um, but you're talking about the haircut. I'm aware of the haircut, right? Isn't that the thing that brought Felicity down? <laughs> Well, it's it's even bigger than the haircut, Charlie. So it was this this teen relationship drama, um, you know, Felicity played by Kerry Russell. Oh gosh, yes, who is killing it in the Americans? Wow, um, she's 
kept in my heart a flutter, that's for sure. Um, no, the final season, it became a time travel drama. What? I know. That's amazing. It's the, it's the craziest thing ever. Like it just went, they must have changed showrunners and the network went, well, we're really, you've only got one season to turn it around. And he went, I know. She can travel through time. Yeah, right. Who was it? Doesn't that wasn't Joss Whedon, wasn't behind Felicity. No, it's JJ Abrams, was it? No, who was it? Oh, it's look, one of it those could guys. be Damon, Damon Lindelof for all Damon. I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was one of those kind of, uh, you know, those big name uh, TV producers who was behind it. I think it was JJ Abrams. We have, we have Google at our um, fingertips. Yeah, yeah. This is the internet is telling oh, us that JJ Abrams. It is JJ. Nailed it. JJ Abrams is responsible and Matt Reeves. Oh, yeah, right. Cleverfield, Matt Reeves. Is that him? Cleverfield? Um, no. I meant, look, I better stop talking. I, I, look, I won. I got ahead of the game with the J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Don't embarrass myself with more ignorance. That's right, people. The man that turned Felicity from uh, a girl growing up in New York or growing up and then going to New York into a time travel drama is in charge of Star Wars. <laughs> Safe hands. It better be, that's for sure. There'll be <laughs> a pack of nerds chasing him down. We have one little bit of extra news to talk about, Charlie, if you've time. In more Where Are They Now and Why Aren't They Still There news, Tan have announced a former Nine gardening guru and original host of The Block, Jamie Dury, will be joining the cast of lifestyle program The Living Room. The top design host will be reporting on garden trends, assisting with makeovers, and giving Amanda Keller foot massages. Now, you spent some time in the Nine stable, Charlie. Did you ever cross paths with Jamie Jury? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Not directly. No, no. I, uh, I met one of the guys from Manpower. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically so, the same thing. So that's my six degrees of Jamie Jury. No, no, never met, never met Jamie. <laughs> I, I haven't been lucky enough to meet Jamie. I did... Um, get to meet a couple of the cast members of Top Design, the very ill-fated reboot for Dury on Nine a few years ago. Uh, and they're lovely people. Uh, in fact, one of the, the cast members that I met went on to marry Jamie Dury, and that didn't work out very well. Um, fancy that. It, it's it's kind of an interesting one because he was he was the king of everything. Like he was the heir apparent to Don Burke that then became, you know, the guy. Yeah. He was the front of the first few series of The Block. He was on Oprah. Everybody loved him. He was on Oprah. That's right, the big push into America. And then not really. Yeah, he'd be doing all right though, wouldn't he? He'd still be like, he must be putting out books and, and he'd have, there'd be Jamie Dury lawn furniture or something, wouldn't there? Surely. Well, no, certainly that was for a time a thing it came out. I, I, I believe he's still designing landscaping you, and all of those or, sorts of things. Or are you talking just purely as a television performer, presenter? Things have fallen off, uh, fallen, gone off the boil a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think they're a little bit linked for him. Aren't they? I mean, sure, he, he would still have uh, business that he's earning cash and doing things from. I think he's even still got links to stuff in the US as far as business goes. Yeah, um, I, think yeah from- I, th- I think he's fine. I don't think we need to pass the hat around <laughs> for Jamie Jury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, a crowdfunding link on the <laughs> to help out Jamie. Yeah, I'm starting up <laughs> a Kickstarter to raise funds for millionaires. Uh, first one we're helping out is Jamie Dury. Yeah, Jamie needs some new, just, what do you call those, the veneers? Get him some new teeth. Yeah. M-O-L-K. Mulk's TV Talk. Uh, now, Charlie, as, as a part of the fun that is the Mulk's TV Talk podcast, uh, what we like to do is challenge 
occasionally our guests to to help us, uh, I guess, find out how much they know about their favourite program. Now, in this episode of Pick a Box of Potluck, very delightfully titled, I will point out, yeah. your special uh, uh, theme is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and can I just like a little caveat to this? When you said, hey, what's your favourite TV show? I actually was like, shit, I, I cannot. <laughs> like, it's very rare. Like, I, I only picked Buffy is because it's the only show that I've seen every episode of. Like, I've watched a lot of, like, half runs of series, you know, like shows mm-hmm. that I've loved, like Roseanne. I got as far as, like, season eight or something like that. But I, I, I'm not claiming to be an expert and I may embarrass myself <laughs> in this. But, uh, yeah, the, the, my only link to this is that I've seen every episode of Buffy. Well, two things I can assuage some fears for you with that, yeah. Charlie. One, I'll be very gentle. It's not It's not going to be taxing, that's for sure. I'm not going to ask who was the background person that played this demon in you know, oh, okay. series. Okay, good, because that's what I thought six. you were going to ask me. <laughs> no, no, not, not quite that harsh. Um, secondarily, uh, it's even better if you don't know the answers, quite frankly. That, that tends to be a lot more fun. Okay. Are you ready? Question one, who created the series Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Just Whedon. Oh, ding, oh. correct. <laughs> See how simple it is? Question two. How many churches are there in Sunnydale? Churches? Is, it, uh, is, this, a, is this a trick question? Churches. No, this is a legit question. Uh, churches in Sunnydale. Uh, I'll, I'll say one. Well, you were close. 43. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell am I meant to know that? <laughs> it has something to, to do with being on a hellmouth. Oh, uh, that's all right. we know. Just that there was a lot of them because of, you know, demon things. So hang on. Can I just ask, not to question mm. your credentials as the quiz master. Sure. But this information uh, specific, specifically about the churches was drawn from a particular episode or the Buffy website or where did you get this? Oh, no, I, I sat down and thoroughly researched the trivia section of imdb.com. Oh, okay. All right. That was which it. is uh, which is updated by anyone who uses the internet. So yes. let me just uh, again not to sound like a, a sore loser, but you know it is one step above Wikipedia. I would say it's one step behind, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but continue, continue. Uh, well, well, one from two so far, and that'll be about as good as it gets. Question three: Which two cast members appeared in all one hundred and forty-five episodes? Which two cast members? Correct. I'm not Googling. <laughs> I'm not trying to just <laughs> buy myself the time to Google. Uh, okay, let's see. It, every episode. Now, part of me thinks like the obvious one, you'd say Sarah Michelle Gellar. But Correct. as we all know, uh, Buffy died at the end of season five, I think it was. So chances mm-hmm. are there could have been an episode that didn't feature her at all. Now, I know Giles left at one stage. Mm-hmm. Willow also, after she became bad, Willow was exiled. So that she, really hurt me too. Yeah, yeah. That was the, that season six is my favorite episode. So, Junior, shh. That's my dog. He's just like, he's trying to tell me the answers. Uh, Willow's a keyword. Okay. Well, would it be. If Willow's there, is it so Xander? And. Yes. Would be the other one. Every episode. Every episode. 
Xander and Buffy. Xander and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Xander and Buffy. Whatever. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to go with Sarah Michelle Gellar and whatever the guy who played Xander was called. Nicholas. Oh, Dean correct. Is that right? Yes. Oh, you beauty. And that's all, 100, all 145, including the unaired pilot. So oh. Sarah Michelle Gellar played Buffy. Nicholas Brendan was Xander. Very close behind, Alison Hannigan, who played Willow, was in all 144 regular episodes, but not the unaired pilot. Wow, that's a, that is a trick question because I wouldn't have known the pilot counted. So that, who, who did she replace as Willow then? Do you know who was Willow in the pilot? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't dig that deeply. Someone Probably else, some other quirky redhead. Yeah, some girl who wasn't considered good enough for the network. <laughs> oh God! Probably. And let's hope she's gone on to have a wonderful career and whatever restaurant she chose to waitress at. That's right. I think her name was Brittany something. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, look, I read far too much when I did all this research, including learning that uh, Charisma Carpenter. And Sarah Michelle Gellar read each other's parts in their auditions. They were auditioning for the opposite parts. I think I knew that. I think I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special. There's some special information just for fans. Question four. Yep. What now common phrase first aired in an episode of Buffy? uh, Can you give me a hint? Yes, you said it earlier. I say a lot of shit. I talk a lot. (laughs) Um, <laughs> common phrase is it to do? Is it related specifically to the show, or is it a common usage phrase? A common usage, not at all. I would think connected to the show beyond okay. this—the fact that they said it first. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, how? Uh, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that is incorrect. What's the answer? The correct answer is Google it. Are you kidding me? I'm not. Wow, that's very interesting. It also sounds completely made up by someone on IMDb. <laughs> I know. Trust me, there was a bunch of stuff that I waded through that I went, that can't be right. Yeah. Someone is, that's just making crap up. Yeah. I stand by that though. That's a factoid right. that I think we can all enjoy. Question five, so far you are two from four. Oh, shit. So this is make or break now, of course. Okay. Which are the only two TV series cast members to also appear in the original movie? Oh, that's a good bloody question. My, my okay. My they memory. don't necessarily play the same characters either. Ah, oh, that's all right, easy. Well, I got one. Mm-hmm. Seth Green. Oh, tick ding. Yep. And. I'm just trying to think. So the cast of the movie had Luke Perry, Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland. Mm. Ben Affleck makes a cameo in the film, but I don't think he ever did the TV show, Buffy. Correct. Uh, Would it be Alison Hannigan? It's not, unfortunately. It's uh, And I'm going to totally massacre this, but it's Chi Mui Lo. Oh, of course, who played... I have no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I, again, the, the, the nerds at imdb.com slash trivia section could be pulling our legs, but we'll take that as, as a given. You've done remarkably well, Charlie. For someone who totally gave us the caveat that, oh, I'm not going to be very good at this, 
you're decidedly competitive. Yeah, but not getting it. <laughs> There's one thing to be decidedly competitive and another thing to be actually good at. <laughs> like every team has that kid who's got, you know, plays a lot of heart, but ultimately he's a spaz. <laughs> I am the equivalent of that when it comes to television trivia. I mean, I appreciate you pumping me up, but I'm really terrible at this. I'm two out of five, mate. That's not even 50% strike rate. Well, it, it, here's a chance to redeem yourself, Charlie. Okay, bonus round or something. Well, more more than that, let's let's talk about things that only you know the answer to. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, like the, the podcast took a decided <laughs> sour turn yeah. when we said let's talk about Charlie. Yeah. Follow Malk on Twitter at Malk's TV Talk. Charlie, when it when we think back to the the earliest realms of you as a young boy, yes, you know, studying, writing a diary, yes. Um, <laughs> what are your earliest TV memories? What are your memories of how TV worked for you? What do you remember? Uh, my earliest memories are there used to be an excellent run of shows on the ABC afternoon. So it would be mm. like uh, Monkey Magic, The Goodies, and yep. then Doctor Who. And so mm. that was, I think that was where my, my first kind of, my, the first TV show I ever loved was Monkey. Yep. I just I thought it was great and would you know play monkey in the backyard with my my siblings and but that that run uh, just that clear memory of just knowing at like four thirty or maybe it was even five thirty just to sit down and uh, you're gonna you're just gonna watch three very different like a comedy a fantasy show and a sci-fi I think it probably kickstarted my love of kind of genre as well mm. I mean I found Doctor Who completely terrifying. But that, but that soundtrack, you know, is so iconic. Like the opening theme is so mm. great. Although it's funny, I've, I have since then gone back and watched The Goodies. Like a nostalgia sort of took a hold of me and I got out like a DVD that mm. was the best of or something and it really, really hasn't <laughs> held up. I, <laughs> I don't know if maybe I was a dumb kid or if it was just aimed specifically at kids, but it was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, this just looks so ropey. Well, I said ropey, there, are some very, <laughs> <laughs> there are some very dodgy moments, I will agree. Now, I love the goodies as a kid as well, uh, so much so, and leaning on this nostalgia bend, that they did a, a tour of Australia, it would be probably seven years yeah. ago now. Yeah, I remember. And played, you know, big theatres and stuff, and they came out on the Trandom and, and uh, 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 also came out in a, in a, a three- uh, walking frame Zimmer frame contraption. Oh, that's that hilarious! Pretty that's pretty funny. Mm, good gags, and and they did some sketches and talked about filming, and they showed lots and lots of clips from the the show. I agree that some of the episodes don't necessarily stand up super well. Yeah, uh, but some of them delightful. Like, yeah, oh, the, the, and- the ideas behind them are great. Like I still think, in terms of like a concept that you know contained uh, surrealist comedy, it's brilliant. Like. You know, I mean, I think you could definitely update the concept and probably have, you know, like Lionel and Woodley sort of had a very uh, similar feeling to the goodies in a way, you know, and just like we do anything, anytime, anywhere. Um, Mm. I I do, I have a lot of affection for like, you know, Kitty Kong and um, Black Pudding and uh, Mm. all those kind of, or Ecky Thump, all those kind (laughs) of episodes. But I I just think it's, you know, TV has moved so far. The idea of what you just described, that seven... Uh, seven years ago, that reunion where they come out and discuss the show and play clips. To me, that's almost more interesting. I'd be more into doing that. Like if they made a documentary about the goodies, I'd be more into, in, interested in watching that because, you know, it's uh, the kind of the story of how they brought it together and, 
you know, that it was hugely popular in Australia because we did the reruns, you know. Um, you knew that, right? The reason why the show yes. yeah, it was so popular. I mean, all that stuff's kind of great, but I don't necessarily think I need to go back and, uh, you know, watch, um, watch the episodes. Yeah, and, or there, there is, while there's a place for nostalgia, I agree. I think that there are some things that are better left unsullied oh, 100%. Uh, as far as, you know, this was the show and I watched it like this and it was great. Mm. Um, uh, there are some things that I have uh, showed to my kids, for example, yeah. because thankfully everything in the world is on YouTube. Yeah, right. Um, and I've been like, oh, check this out. I really love this when I was a kid. And I remember looking at it, watching my son's face, just kind of quizzically going, what is this? This is very good, Dad. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> and in fact, it makes Get out of here. It's been, I mean, it wasn't television, but um, when I started on Home and Away, uh, there was a music festival in, in Sydney and mm. um, Blondie were headlining. And Gemma and I were there and uh, two of the younger girls, like I think it must be like 19 or 20, we said to them, why don't you come check out Blondie with us? And they're like, you know, what's Blondie? And so we explained who, you know, Deborah Harry was and how important Blondie were mm. and it's an amazing kind of post-punk band and blah, 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 blah. And so we get to the front of the stage and, you know, the band starts and Debbie Harry stumbles onto stage oh. completely blind, drunk, wearing like a Tina Turner wig and these like uh, gold spandex pants and her voice is shot. Like she just can't sing like mm. that anymore. And about five minutes into the, to the set, one of the girls leans over to me and goes, is that guy Blondie? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, oh. you know, just some things you have to just leave in the past. Can't yeah, go home again. Yeah, and there's a lesson in that for all of us, particularly television executives. Don't dust off old ideas. Oh, look, uh, don't reboot the Sullivans. Yeah. You know? there, there are some things that we just need to leave where they are. And, oh, and, look, and, I, I kind of am in two minds about that because I hear that all the time. Like there's too many sequels, there's too many reboots. I think it is fine as long as you reinterpret the material. I mean, that reinterpreting heroic stories or, you know, comedies or dramatic stories is as old as storytelling itself. You know, look at Wentworth. I mean, if they had told mm. you five years ago they're going to remake Prisoner, you would have been like, oh, God, like it's going to be that campy, you know, show that it was when, uh, when it was being made in, in Melbourne in Grundy's. But then you look at what Wentworth is and it's, they've just literally taken the concept and then reimagined every, everything else about it. And I, I'm all for that because Agreed. I think, you know, if it's a strong idea, then you can definitely you can definitely reboot it. I don't know if it's, you know, if this full house thing ends up just being, look, let's just get these old blokes out, you know, doing the, the same shtick that they were doing 20 years ago, then maybe not. But who knows? Maybe they'll be subversive with it. Maybe they'll reinvent the idea. Maybe it'll be a, a parody of sitcom reboots like the 21 Jump Street films, you know, like there's oh. more than one way to skin a cat. It would be delightful if it was that because, of course, Bob Saget, who played the, the father mm. um, of all of the girls, uh, you know, very famously saccharine character, yeah. uh, has not proven that life. in – Yeah, he is not that guy. Yeah. Uh, and it would be delightful to have seen – to see DJ's dad and Steph's dad grow up yeah. and just be this funny, dirty, grumpy <laughs> – uh, while creepy Uncle Joe is still running around trying to bang chicks. <laughs> Have mercy. Yeah. What was the place of TV in your household, Charlie? How did, did you have to fight to, to watch it? Was it yeah. a shared resource? Uh, well, I'm the youngest of nine. So 
Uh, Good luck. It definitely was uh, like, I mean, in some ways, it's a good thing because being the youngest of nine, uh, I had older siblings showing me shows that I would never have thought to watch. Um, mm. And I was probably, um, you know, getting more like the the remake, the reboot or the the 80s version of The Twilight Zone, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was probably a bit too young for that because it was quite, you know, uh, some from some pretty like uh, scary episodes and stuff. But my sisters, yes. you know, would – because I think back in well, – I could be making this up, but back in the 80s, I feel like – uh, on a Saturday night, it would be MTV hosted by Richard Wilkins till about 10.30. And then mm-hmm. after that would be some kind of like Nick at Night style shows. So it was always like, you know, a Twilight Zone or Wolfman or, you know, just something that was a bit kind of more out there, a bit more adult. Um, yeah. So I loved like the Twilight Zone because my sisters got me into that. And uh, there wasn't really – I don't know that – we weren't like the kind of family that sat around and watched like Hey Hey It's Saturday or anything like that. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like we made time for a show. But, you know, there's definitely kind of like Twin Peaks, the first series of Twin Peaks, I remember like, you know, every the whole family getting into and, and watching that. Um, some other shows too, like non-dramatic, like The Big Gig. My sister yep. was really into uh, comedy. My, she's four years older than me. So she, I would have been like, you know, 10 or 11 and she would have been 15, 16 and she was really getting to, into stand-up comedy. So we used to watch The Big Gig and that's where I first saw like, you know, Doug Anthony All-Stars and, yes. um, you know, Gene Kitson and, and Glenn uh, Wendy Nicholas. Harmer, Glenn Nicholas, yeah, all these kind of guys. So, yeah, it was, uh, I guess when there was an event that, you know, we'd probably get around and watch it but there were no kind of, there was no, there was no kind of, you know, watching it at dinner or anything like that would you know would would dinner was dinner time and then you know you could mm. do your homework and watch some tv before bed you you mentioned you know some of the amazing comics that you see on the big gig and those sorts of things and as you've grown up i'm sure you watched you know television here and there have you had a chance uh, as an actor to mm. perform with any of these people that you saw as a kid growing up um uh not uh, i mean look i i probably have and I'm not being glib because of who they are or whatever. It's just you know, on a on the serial show or even like one hour drama, a lot of guest actors come through. So there's probably people I have worked with that I've just that I've forgotten. I mean, mm. I do remember um, being a bit starstruck doing an acting workshop with Mark Downey. <laughs> <laughs> I signed up for this eight weeks of uh, like these acting classes, and Mark Downey was was one of the women in the class and. Mm. I was so kind of like, I just, cause you know, I, I watched her on, on fast forward and just thought she was brilliant. And so I was yes. really kind of like starstruck to the point where when we finished um, the course, I, I had written a short film and asked her to be in it, to play my mum. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and she did. She was very gracious and, 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 and agreed to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I've met a lot of people that I grew up watching. Um, you know, through comedy festival and obviously, you know, doing TOEFOP with Will has sort of introduced me to a whole bunch of comedians and, mm-hmm. you know, so like I've met Paul McDermott quite a few times. He's quite friendly with my girlfriend and it is a little surreal because, He's you know, quite friendly with everybody's girlfriend though, <laughs> still. <laughs> yes. No, he's a happily, uh, he's a taken man now and a father, Paul, mm. so, um, uh, yeah, no, it, it, so it, it does blow your mind a little bit when you, I mean, I'll give you a story from two weeks ago, which 
you know, is still kind of, I can hardly believe it. I went to see Mad Max Fury Road. And oh, yeah. uh, afterwards, you know, I was sort of milling about the foyer and this little girl came up and wanted a photo. And so we were just chatting. She's about eight years old. And um, I said, you know, that film was probably a bit too grown up for you. You didn't see that, did you? And she's like, no, no, she wasn't allowed to. But she said, my dad was in Mad Max 2. And I said, who is your dad? And she's gone, the feral kid. <laughs> And I literally pushed her aside and was like, where is he? (laughs) Like I grew up loving the Mad Max movies. Like they were, I had them on loop virtually. And the Feral Kid is like, I mean, especially because I would have been about the Feral Kid's age when Mad Max 2 came out. So that's the, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. You identify with Short Round because you're a kid when you're watching it. Um, Yes. And so I got to meet him and like I, it was bizarre because he was sort of trying to tell me how much his family loved watching Home and Away and big fans, and I kept shutting him up so I could tell him how much I loved Mad Max too and what a big fan I was. And I mean, of all the kind of you know perks to being on TV or being an entertainer, I guess getting to meet people like that is is one of the good things. I mean, I'm yet to meet someone who's let me down or disappointed me, but it's even better when you meet someone and they're extremely lovely and happy to pose for a photograph and. Because I always feel like, oh, they're not going to want to talk about, you know, whatever show or movie it is that I'm obsessed with. But it's always great when they tell you some stories that you know you haven't heard before. <laughs> Do you think you get an inside line on that though because you're in the business? Like if Punter X mm. managed to score a ticket to the same preview yeah. and had a similar kind of situation, do you think that the, you know, the feral kid from Mad Max 2 would be as generous with them? I think so. I mean, uh, Emil, I believe his name, Emil or Emil, I wasn't quite sure how it's pronounced. Um, I think he would be, he seemed like a lovely guy. I think uh, he was happy to talk about it. He didn't, I don't think there was anything like, oh, well, you know, this guy has the secret handshake, the showbiz handshake. (laughs) So I can, (laughs) you know, I can, I can get in depth. Like he, it was just genuinely like two blokes having a chat. I mean, if I look at it from my own point of view, you know, um, I go back to the UK with Gemma um, from time to time because she's Scottish and her, her mother still lives there. And um, mm. when we visit her small town in Kelso, there's only like 6,000 people there and it kind of blows their minds when they see the high school teacher from Summer Bay walking around. Like it's the last place you'd ever expect to see him. Um, and I'm mm. always happy to have a chat with people, you know. And, and you know, as you know, like um, in the UK, like they're, they're really into their soaps. Like they really know the storylines and, you know, the characters are real to them. So, you know, I've been in many a pub or, you know, walking down the street and had someone stop me and want to talk in depth about, you know, how Lee is going and, you know, are the twins okay <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's all about the approach, you know. If Punter X is respectful and, um, you know, not crazy-eyed, then I'm sure anyone would be happy to give them the time of day. Not crazy-eyed. So I'm just <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> How did you how did you get into acting as a gig, Charlie? Was this something that you knew, uh, you know, coming out of high school, I want to perform, I want to do this, or was it something uh, that you fell into, developed what? Uh, it's a kind of a, a bit of everything. Like I, I had never really what I really what I knew I loved was movies, mm. and I uh, I enrolled in a media arts course that had like a, a big film component and TV and film production and stuff and. So I did that for three years and um, I just dabbled about, like I'd done some high school theatre but I'd never really, you know, thought of it as a serious career or anything. Um, and then 
I was doing an amateur play. Uh, a producer saw me in the amateur play, asked me to audition for a professional play. I got that, and then from that I got an agent, and then you know everything sort of took off from there. But the whole time I've been an actor, I've always you know I, I still write and produce and you know do the podcast and stuff because I've, I've never really felt like I'm an actor and that's it. And and, and that's not to disrespect actors. Like there's lots mm-hmm. of actors who that's their that's their skill set, and um, I've just always felt like there's I've, I've got a few things that I'm interested in and, and that I'm capable of doing. And to be honest, you know, like I feel I never went to drama school or anything like that. So every job I've had has been like drama school. You know, you work with different directors and actors and yeah. and learn things on the way. And I mean, home and away, especially, uh, you know, when you're working 46 weeks of the year and, um, you know, long, long days and long weeks, like it's, it's boot camp for, for acting. Like you really, uh, you know, people can sort of think what they want about the quality of the drama or the scripts or whatever. But the fact is you are putting into practice a skill set again and again and again, you know, and that only leads to improvement. Well, hopefully in my case it leads to improvement, may lead to viewers switching, <laughs> viewers switching off. Well, you hear about that from a lot of the, the Home and Away cast that it is not brutal in that, you know, oh, you had such long hours and it, it, things are horrible on set. You've already talked about how, how wonderful it is working mm. uh, on the show, mm. but that it is a tight turnaround. I mean, you guys are recording, for what we see on air, two and a half hours of TV ev- for every week. Yeah. So there's yeah. a lot of Make, Basically making uh, like a, a Paul Thomas Anderson film every week <laughs> in terms of length. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And in terms of plot sometimes. And, I'll, and look, I've, and I've sat in on the, uh, like the plotting meetings in the script department and like I think if people knew the conditions that people worked under, the fact that we get the show to air and the quality of – and I do think that the show now, like, the look of the show is up there with a lot of the one-hour dramas. You know, they really mm. decided a, a while back to they wanted to pump up the quality of the show. But you go into that writer's room and you've got – you know, five days you have to fill and you've got a list of cast all with their restrictions, a list of locations all with their restrictions and then you have to create five episodes of drama on a show that's been on air for 27 years so you can't repeat yourself or at least you need enough time to have passed since you last did a storyline, you know, such a mm. blah, blah, blah. So the conditions are really restrictive and strenuous yet they bring out a show that is still watched by over a million people in Australia and you know however many million worldwide it's quite an achievement it, it certainly is and you're right because that that's the interesting thing that, that people that, that aren't connected with television or movies might not know about you know when you when you are making a film there's still a budget and all of those sorts of things uh, but what you need to make sure of is that you uh, are writing and, and have access to the kinds of places that you're talking about. People go out, find locations, all of that sort of thing. Mm. There's a fairly fixed amount of locations that exist for Summer Bay. You can yeah. only shoot the beach so many different ways. Of course. But we've got to go down the beach. That's yeah, cool. That's why um, every important discussion <laughs> happens on the beach. <laughs> you know? It's kind of like in wrestling, every business meeting happens in the ring. And it's like, why is that? Well, they don't have cameras anywhere else. You've got to have them there. <laughs> that's right. We can't see the, the beforehand meetings where they're going, I'm really upset with how you treated her. Save it for the ring, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> How did you? How did you? Like when the the opportunity came up for Home and Away, mm. was it? Uh, hey Charlie, we'd like you to audition. You heard about it through your, your agent. I'm going to audition for that. What? How did this come about? Yeah, I I auditioned. Um, you know, I'd love mm. to say that uh, I'm in a position where people just hand me roles. Look, there have been roles in the past that I haven't had to audition for, but 
No, this one definitely um, uh, they auditioned me. Uh, but it, 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 I, no question, I don't mean this with disrespect, no yeah. question they got you to audition, but did they approach you, your management, to say, hey, we've got this role, we think Charlie would be great for yeah. you, we'd like to test him for yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, but that's generally, unless it's like an open casting call, that's generally how it happens, is a casting agent mm. will have in, you know, the producers will say, we have got this character coming up, can you think of anyone or is there anyone you've seen that you think might be good? And then the casting Someone dark and brooding that can be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how dark and brooding I am, but teacher, tick. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, look, the other thing is I'm only hearing it from my side as well. I don't know what discussions happened on the producer's mm. end. But in fairness, like there had been opportunities in the past where um, I had turned down Home and Away, like, um, you know, years and years ago when uh, I was sort of – I had an option of – uh, I had just got the job on McLeod's and then yeah. Home and Away, I had an audition for Home and Away and they also offered me a role and so I took McLeod's over Home and Away. And then when I finished on Blue Healers, a role came up that was uh, offered to me um, that I didn't take because uh, my girlfriend had just gotten into film school and so that would I didn't want to have to move out of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, so this time when it came around, like it wasn't, as clear cut as the first two offers. I, I, I knew that I had to audition, but I felt like, well, they've gotten me in enough times in the past. Like they were obviously aware of who I am. You know, I was on a Channel 7 show. I'd done a couple of Channel 7 shows, but I was on Blue Healers for almost two years. So, you know, you, you get a sense that they're not just sort of like grasping at straws. Like they have an idea of who you are and, and, and you know, yeah. what you can bring to the role. Um, but having said that, like there's probably – you know, dozens of, or, or you know, a, a lots of, of guys in my age bracket who could also be doing a great job. But, you know, uh, casting, having worked on the other side of the camera, there's so many variables that go into why an actor does or doesn't get a job. You can drive yourself mental if you try to think of them all because, you know, it may be your height. It may be how similar you look to another cast member. It may be the fact that, you know, uh, uh, you have come off a show that had a similar subject matter or a show that had, mm. you know, a controversial subject matter, you know, and it has all of that has nothing to do, no bearing on whether or not you can actually act. You know, I mean, it's just a reality of, of, of casting. Um, yeah. So I've always been, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not someone who refuses to audition. I understand the process completely, you know, like you get to a certain level where it's, it's great to not have to audition. But I understand the functionality of it. And, you know, I had been out of, I hadn't been a regular on TV for at least five years when Home and Away came calling. So, um, you know, I'm not so uh, blind as to kind of think, oh, why are they asking me to do this? Like, it makes complete sense. They need to see what I still look like and, you know, whether or not I've got an appetite for it, all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's such an interesting, uh, you know, to hear that because. You know, I think that for a lot of people that, that aren't, you know, act, in acting and doing that, and even those that are considering getting into it, to, to hear and understand that the audition process is still so important and that it doesn't matter how good you are, certainly go in and do your best, no question. Mm. Um, but no matter how good you, you are in delivering the lines and, and acting and doing that stuff, yeah, it can be the smallest thing that's like, oh, well, but just there's something that's not for this role that we perceive it to be. 100%. I mean, and this is not to dissuade any aspiring actors who might be listening to this, but my girlfriend's a director 
and I will watch her watch audition tapes and literally her finger will be on fast forward 98% of the time because the person who comes in through the door, she's going to know instantly visually whether or not they look like the character she's had in her mind or that the clients mm. had in their mind or the producers have in their mind. And then if they get past that visual uh, audition and they open their mouth and, you know, so you're constantly jumping you're constantly jumping hurdles, you know. You might not sound right. Your voice is, you know, you don't sound uh, Australian enough or you sound too Australian or, you know, I mean, there's so many variables. And then, like I said, that doesn't even bring into account all the other things of which you physically and emotionally cannot <laughs> control. <laughs> I mean, the best thing you can learn to do as an actor is let go. And, and I'm really good mm. at that now. Like at the start, because the, it's, because the, the, ex, the opportunity is so exciting and the potential to work is so exciting that like you can leave an audition on cloud nine because, you know, you did a great job and everyone in the room seemed to like you and, and you can't help your mind but wander into, oh, and then, you know, if I get the part, it'll be like this and you've got to drop that shit. <laughs> you've just mm. got to go into the room, do the best possible audition you can do and then walk out of there and it's almost like I just forget. I forget that I had an audition. I won't call my agent to follow up. I won't do any of that kind of stuff because none of that is going to help you get the job. You've, everything that you're going to do, happened in the room it's like when you go to the the states like um auditioning is quite different over there australians are a very good craftsmen in terms of acting yeah um you know they come in with their lines learnt they've done some prep but in the states the first audition they treat more like a go see like they literally will just go in with a script in their hand and they'll sit down you know, they won't have put much prep into it whereas i think australians because mm-hmm. you know jobs are so few and far between we just tend to prep really hard and what I noticed about these guys was these American actors is they're walking around with their sides in their hand and they're running the lines in the waiting room. And I'm like, mate, if you don't know it now, like, if you don't know it now, like if you have to run the lines, you know, five minutes before you walk in front of the producers, then I doubt you're going to get the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if anything, you should have had this thing fucking nailed before you – sorry, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you should have had this thing nailed before you um, – before you got to the audition because it's that an audition is your chance to show them that you got the goods. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, a, it's not a forum to plead your case or to um, coerce someone into giving you a job. Like they want you to be the person. They want you to be the character that they're, they're imagining. So as soon as you walk in the door, you're going to be switched on and you've got to know your shit. That's, you know, that's, 15 years worth of not getting jobs <laughs> that I've learned that. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, it can mean then sometimes putting the effort in best foot forward, all of that sort of stuff. It, 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 between jobs can be a significant period of time. Uh, is that as much as anything, trying to keep your head right, keep some money coming in, go to the auditions, like surviving that in between job period, could, I, I would imagine would be pretty tough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Really hard. I mean, I, th- I think that you, well, there's two schools of thought, you know. One is like if you have a fallback position, then you will allow yourself to fall back. So maybe it's better to, you know, have the hunger and the fear of shit like, you know, this is all I do. <laughs> but I'm yeah. of the mind that um, I like to have I like to have more than one avenue towards to an income, you know. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like that at the start. Like I think I was quite lucky with how I got into acting. You know, I got, you know, my first – from the moment I did that that play to my first kind of full-time job was probably less than two years. 
And then from that first full-time job and a head start, you know, I got my clouds and then from the clouds I got Blue Healers and, mm. you know, like, and then Blue Healers wasn't in Canara. And so I kind of, I think I got lazy and complacent. It felt like easy, like things were, were coming. Um, and so I didn't really take care. I don't think I, I worked hard enough as an actor and I think that I also got complacent with the other side of things, you know. And it wasn't until mm. I had that big gap where I sort of really, I mean, to be honest, like before Home and Away came along, I kind of had asked the question of, well, maybe I'm done. Like maybe I had a pretty good run. But maybe that was all I was meant to do as a, an actor in Australia, you know. Oh. Like, you know, and so I'd started uh, producing for Gemma, and you know, we'd started the production company, and I'd been writing, and uh, you know, started up Tofop, and even though Tofop wasn't like a, a money spinner, it was like another creative outlet. Mm. Um, but I was kind of, you know, comfortable with okay, well, maybe that's 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 the position I'm in. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, like uh, you know. Um, when you're an actor you tend to you get trained into waiting for permission to work because that's the only way you get employment is yeah. you know your agent calls you and tells you you've got an audition you go to the audition your agent tells you you got the job so I think some actors get paralyzed into thinking that they can't be proactive um, that there's too many gatekeepers that they have to but it, we live in an era where everyone can be a self distributing filmmaker TV producer, publisher, you know, like mm-hmm. there's more competition than ever before, but there's also more outlets, you know, and there's kind of really no excuse not to be making something. Um, mm. And I just am a firm believer that work begets work, you know, uh, even if it's not a direct knock-on effect from the thing that you're putting out there, just being in that mindset robs you of desperation and nothing stinks worse in an audition than an actor who desperately needs a job. <laughs> Yeah, gosh. Sorry, am I getting a bit too real? <laughs> no, no, no. That's no. That, it's very good. Thank you. It, 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 I appreciate you sharing it. I was going to actually ask, as an extension of that, you mentioned, um, you know, that you before the home and away gig, you obviously uh, started the podcast with Will Tofop, but that, that has gone on to, to huge acclaim and lots of people you know, download it all the time and all those sorts of things. And then, as that's progressing for both of you, opportunities appear for you home and away for him, it's that the the, the desire to really kick it in America, which is moving to another country. Mm. And yet the the podcast has continued. Yeah. It's various formats. When you're back, you're over in America, all of that, he's back, all that that sort of thing. Yeah. What was it like for you the first time when you heard that the podcast was continuing, you heard someone in that guest Charlie role? Um, Oh, look, it was kind of, I mean, obviously I didn't want to stop, doing it but i understood mm-hmm. the, the reasons why um sure i was happy for will to keep going like i what i love most about tofop is that we really um with if you're talking about like a ground up operation like we literally with very little fanfare just put it out there and i mean look i know will is an immensely popular comedian but that doesn't necessarily dictate that the podcast would have taken off because it's very de- mm-hmm. different from you know his stand-up um so what I loved about it is we got a very loyal, dedicated following. And um, I was sad to have let that, you know, to have to let go of that. Um, but I was happy for it to continue in a form. I mean, deep down, we both kind of knew there would be an opportunity to pick it up at some point. Um, mm-hmm. It just turned out that it was uh, uh, like sooner than we thought. And 
um, you know, to Seven's credit, they've been incredibly generous and supportive um, of the of, of me and the podcast since it's been back. You know, um, and I, I I still, to be honest, it's it, it's kind of changed. Like I think that um, in the same way that uh, people who listen to this may and listen to Tofop may have also heard another podcast called Walking the Room, which mm. was by two comedians, Dave Anthony and Greg Barrett, who became very good friends of Will and I and. They were like our sister podcast, two American comedians who did a similar kind of thing in the States. Yeah. And um, they have gone on to, you know, real success in the last couple of years. You know, uh, Dave is writing for um, uh, for Mark Maron's show and doing his own yeah. successful stand-up. Greg uh, moved to the States, uh, you know, he was working as a consultant on a TV show and he's got a band that's going really well. And the podcast just became un- untenable. And... A lot of people were upset when they announced it was over. But I kind of was like, well, that makes sense because, you know, the reason yeah. they started the podcast is that they needed an outlet and their best friends and that's what the podcast became. So Tofop, as you said, is not what it was in the first two years, that first, you know, 80 episodes or whatever we did. Um, yes. but, but I kind of like uh, – it, it makes sense, like, that it is what it is. It is now – it's 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 Fofop really is the kind of um, you know the regular podcast, and then Tofop is a little kind of special that happens from time to time. <laughs> but I'm happy with that. Inevitably, in a live context too, which makes it even more engaging. Not that it's not interesting to listen to you and Will in a recorded context, mm. but when you two sit down live, inevitably with a, a range of increasingly drunk guests. <laughs> Um, it's, it's seriously people, if there is no other reason for you to get along to the LA Podfest this year, uh, it will be to see Tofop, uh, in full flight off the back of, I'm sure the dollop again. Uh, yeah. it, it was delightful last year. You guys were so funny. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, that was, so good. uh, I mean, that was pretty, um, like, uh, that, that is still one of my most cherished kind of memories of anything that we've done Tofop because it was completely uh, unplanned and disorganized. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> Will only put it to me, you know, like a month or a month, two months out from the actual festival. Why don't you come? And I was like, well, I can't. You know, I'm on home and away. I've got to give them more notice than that. And he said, but it's on a Saturday night. Do you think you could finish work on Friday, fly to LA, do the show, then fly back to work on Monday? So we did the logistics and, again, home and away, very supportive, um, gave me, scheduled it so that I could at least – have the Friday off. So I flew oh, out man. Friday Australia time, landed a Friday American time, had a day in LA and did the show. But we honestly had no idea who would turn up. I mean, it's lovely to see you there, but we didn't know if anyone else was going to turn up. And um, it was pretty much a full house and they seemed to get it. And, you know, we were, we were up against Mark Maron, like the king of <laughs> podcasts. Like I think if we'd, <laughs> if we'd had 10 people turn up, like we, we people could have, you know, I would have been happy with that and people would understand why. But the fact that we got a full room, people got the joke, got the humor. Because I think, you know, the, a lot of what I hope people like about Tofop is the relationship between Will and I, the dynamic. You know, mm. um, I, I would hope that that is kind of what is drawing people in because we don't really have a lot of material. <laughs> like we don't <laughs> We don't have anything prepared. Like, you know, it's we're just relying on our banter and the fact that we, you know, we get on, we're good mates 
you know, we like to kind of roll with uh, hypotheticals and all that kind of stuff. And um, to sort of have that validated in a completely different country, like, it was really nice. You know, it was, it was, like I said, one of my most cherished kind of memories. It's, yeah, it, it's a high point for me too. Between, and, and this is a very parochial bend on it, but between seeing you guys and seeing Steel at uh, LA Podfest last year, along with a whole bunch of other incredible podcasts live, uh, it, it, it was an amazing time. So people do get along, lapodfest.com. It's in September. It's in Los Angeles. It is definitely worth the trip. Uh, you're going to be there again this year, Charlie, yes. yeah? Yes. I've actually, I've actually been this time a bit more organized. I've actually bookend, bookended two weeks holiday that time. So uh, <laughs> I won't be as rushed. I literally stepped off stage, got in a cab, went back to the airport. I couldn't even bask in the afterglow of the uh, post-performance. <laughs> The flip side is, though, I believe that Will is doing that now this year because he's mid-ruin yeah. at that point yeah. again. Well, so it, it makes sense that we can't ever be in LA for the podcast. <laughs> One of us always has to fly in. At least you'll have accommodation, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Tell us about That's Awesome. Now, this is a, an excellent new podcast. If, if people haven't heard it, this is Charlie's podcast where he chats with someone about stuff. It, it's yeah. pretty straightforward, yeah? Yeah, look, I mean... <laughs> I I don't know how to describe the podcast because look to be 100% honest it's 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 me just talking to my friends and uh mm. I I I think that what I'm trying to do with the show is a podcast that isn't an interview or formatted like what I want yeah. it to feel like is that you've just fallen in the back seat of a car where two guys are driving or a guy and a girl driving and you're just tuning into the conversation um because i have a theory that any like any topic can be interesting if discussed intelligently and balanced and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. um you know a lot of the people who you might hear on the show you you would know who they are because they're you know on tv or radio or whatever but i'm also mixing it up with friends of mine who are civilians <laughs> so to speak you know who have normal <laughs> jobs because my only criteria is that the people that I'm bringing on I know can talk or are comfortable. I, I just – the way I select them is I, I think of people that I would be comfortable spending an hour or two with at the pub or at a cafe or on a plane, you know, like could I have an entertaining one-hour conversation with this person? And it's really surprised me. Like, um, you know, some of the people that I've had on who are ostensibly a comedians have gone mm-hmm. to some very – serious places and some of the people I've had on who maybe aren't considered to be that funny have been hilarious so um I I sort of feel like I'm finding again it's the most indulgent sort of concept but I feel like I'm finding out what the podcast is by just doing it you know like you you know if you're a comedian you can go out and do open mics if you're a musician you can you know play gigs but there's no training ground really for podcasters and I feel like if I if I didn't just set myself the challenge of doing it, then I would because I sat around for a while trying to think of what is the perfect format for a show. You know, maybe I should do like a Q and A show, maybe I should do a quiz show. You know, and then I was like, no, I just want to talk. I just like conversation that's freewheeling. And so I thought, well, I don't want to make it an interview show. I just want to get on people that I can. I feel comfortable that I can talk to. Or I feel comfortable that they can talk to me, and just see mm-hmm. what happens of it. So to be honest, I don't know where it's going to go, how many episodes. Like I have no grand plans for it. I'm just enjoying it. Like I, if anything, it's a great chance for me to catch up with people that I don't get to see that often. You know, as we get older, mm-hmm. people get busier, and it's just hard to make time. I mean, to be honest, like 
the only times Will and I really see each other is to do TOEFOP. And thank God we have that because, you know, <laughs> you know, we're good mates and, and, and we want to hang out, but sometimes you need a reason. So that's what that's awesome is, a reason to hang out. <laughs> is that the worst well, sales pitch f- ever? Oh, God. No, no, that's great. In fact, we found the very definition of the podcast. So why not? I, I think you're right too that, that there isn't any sort of proving ground as far as how well, I want to become a better podcaster. Yeah. But I think that's the benefit of the medium. It's just do it. Just yeah. record stuff, publish I'm, it. and I'm, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm not looking at stats. Like I'm not really interested in you know the popularity or of becoming the number one podcast or any of that kind of shit. Like it's really – I just feel like it's it's it's. I didn't feel like I had any natural given talent at any art form until podcasting came along. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when I discovered podcasting, I'm like, this is my thing. You know, because yeah. I'd sort of, I'd, you know, I'd done some radio in the past and stuff, and I always felt hamstrung by the content restrictions and the timing of segments and all that kind of stuff. And then this format came along, which was long-form conversation where you could really get to the meat of uh, of a subject or you could switch it around and get totally absurd about something. And so, you know, I kind of feel like I need to do this for my own, you know, uh, my own creative uh, uh, outlet. And, and reasonable too. That's a, a very cool um, way of looking at it. Malk's TV Talk, the podcast. Charlie, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. If, how, if people want to track you down on the internet, subscribe to That's Awesome, which is, friends, it rhymes with Clawson. That's how it works. <laughs> yes, there is an explanation. It's not a misspelling. <laughs> how can people find you on, on the uh, worldwide everything? Uh, so at Twitter, I'm CX Clawson, at CX Clawson. Instagram, Charlie underscore Clawson. And um, if you're into the podcast, you can find tofop.com has all the episodes. Uh, uh, that's awesome. I haven't bothered with a Facebook page or anything yet. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm, I'm really I'm doing a low-key marketing push for that show. But if you follow me on Twitter, I always post a link to every new episode. But uh, yeah, you can just Google That's Awesome, A-U-S-O-N, and it'll take you to the iTunes page, I'm sure. I've really enjoyed uh, – I- I'm not a massive Jules Lund fan, but I really enjoyed the conversation that you had with him, the first episode. You know what? Uh, You're not the yes. f- first person to have said that. And I'm really, really happy because uh, Jules is a really good mate of mine. And I know he has this image that is out there, but beneath that is a guy who's extremely uh, considered, intelligent. Uh, I mean, everyone knows he's funny, but like he, mm. the, the guy has layers. And I just wanted to... I just wanted to bring that out, and, and I'm, I'm just I'm just glad uh, that you know people like yourself have, have responded to it. Yeah, a really good chat. It's the first one off the uh, first cab off the rank. If you people want to download it, also the Dave Anthony conversation is excellent. Oh, great! Yeah, it's always fun talking to Dave. Mm, always fun. Well, again, Charlie, thank you for joining us, and to everyone else, thank you for joining us this week on Mox TV Talk the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Malks TV Talk. Find me on Facebook at uh, find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash Malks TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, and do leave us a sweet five-star review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Charlie Clawson say, um, that's all, folks. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>